conversation about gender. We explore masculinity and femininity to discover how gender shapes the way we live. And we are your companions in this journey of discovery, Matt and Alex. This season, we want to hear from you, our listeners. We want to know what you think about some of the big gender issues of today. Please record a short 30-second response to the question, are gender expectations still a thing in the dating world? Send us your voice memo to thebinarypod at gmail.com and we'll feature it on an upcoming episode. In Season 2 of The Binary Podcast, we're learning about eight topics that have contributed to our modern gender landscape. Our challenge? To become an expert in two minutes. Each week, one of us gets two minutes to research the topic and then share their newfound expertise. Listen in as we discover and record the most fascinating findings and chat about it. Let's become two-minute experts. Okay, so this week our topic is big gender moments in Aussie politics. How exciting. Now, what we intended to happen in this was we'd get a snapshot of some really big hitting moments in history that changed the gender landscape. Matt, in two minutes, that sounded like it was quite a challenge. (laughs) So I think what we ended up finding was that there were so many moments we got through all of about 1975. Matt, what did you learn this week? Yeah, I, um, like you said, I went in um, and intended to find out more about how the dial had shifted for gender affairs, um, particularly in Australia, but looking at the role of um, government policy. Um, Like you said, two minutes is an insanely short amount of time uh, and we managed to focus mainly on the things that happened in and around the early 70s. Love it. It was a significant time for women. So I really found that that gave me such an insight into what women's issues were like then and how far we've actually come to now. Me too. Um, It also had me reflect though that so much happened in such a short period of time um, and how much value there is in momentum in an issue. Yeah, totally. Awesome. Fantastic. So let's dive into it. Here's how I went with my research. Alrighty, so I need to know what steps there have been Uh, to forward gender relations in Australia from a government perspective. So I know that there were some things done under Whitlam, so I'm going to Google Whitlam government plus gender policies. Thank you, Google. Whitlam Institute's women's rights. That sounds promising. Broadagenda.com.au. Women's rights in Australia, the legacy of Gough Whitlam. Love that. ABC News, milestones for Australian women since 1975. Thank you. This is my homework done, I reckon. Come on, internet. Oh my gosh, I'm at 40 seconds. All right, milestones for Australian women since 1975. In 1975, the United Nations held its first world conference on women in Mexico City, blah, 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 blah. First world conference on women. Whitlam government introduces no-fault divorce, June 21, 1975. Brilliant. Women and politics conference held in Canberra, September. First sex discrimination legislation comes into effect, December 4, 1975. Margaret Guilfoyle becomes first woman cabinet minister in 1975. First reclaim the night rally, 1978. Second World Conference on Women. Okay, this is great. I can get a lot out of this. What else can I do? Gender policies plus government 
plus Australia. Oh my goodness, I am at a minute 23 already. Office for Women, Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet. Gender, Equality and Empowering Women and Girls. DFAT? Maybe, I don't know. Developing a Gender Equality Policy. No, that's Workplace Gender Equality Agency. Applying a Gender... Oh no, my gosh, I am running out of time! Okay. Um, Victorian Gender Bill Equality Bill makes history in Australia. Right, here we go. 21 Feb 2020, that is very current. History has been made through the Andrews Labor Government Equality Bill, blah, blah, blah. Breaking down discrimination. All right, I've run out of time, so I've got some stuff to go on with. Let's see how we go. Okie dokes, Al. Welcome to uh, my lecture session. <laughs> I'm so excited for this. <laughs> So, I want to know what you found. So for everyone listening, this is the first time that we... This is the first of the episodes that we've recorded. And so this is the first time we've tested this format. First learning. Yeah, love it. Two minutes is probably insufficient to become an expert. <laughs> so let's just begin with that. Um, as you know, I was looking for what, uh, what advancements there have been in Australia in terms of um, advancements on gender issues things particularly relating to public policy or the role that governments played. Awesome. So I guess before I go into the stuff that I had taken from my uh, thorough research... <laughs> Very thorough. <laughs> how much do you know about, about this as a topic? Yeah, look, I wouldn't say I'm at all an expert on Australian <laughs> government policy on gender. Well, I, I wouldn't previously, but I would now. <laughs> no, you definitely are miles ahead of me. Um, I know that there are several like acts and bills that probably came into play. I have no idea on dates, so I'd be interested mm. to hear like some weird or interesting developments that you think cool. were, were quite like a standout. Um, but yeah, feel free to take me through it. Love it. So Google was very much my best friend in this. Um, I thought that I had I, th I recalled having read um, quite a lot about there being this big explosion of the government's roles in women's rights around the Whitlam era. So Gough was uh, Gough Whitlam was in power December 1972 to um, November 1975, and the first thing I learnt was that um, Whitlam appointed a lady named Elizabeth Reed in 1973, and she became the first advisor to a head of state on women's issues globally, wow. which is what cool. Year, what year was that? 1973. Okay. So <laughs> pretty recent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're doing well. And I don't know whether there was advisors on men's issues. I think maybe just all of the advisors probably covered off on men's issues. Yeah, but sure. a landmark um, step for us as a nation to be the first that have a dedicated advisor on women's issues to the head of state. Mm. So that was really interesting. I learned then that the um, that 1975 was declared by the UN as International Women's Year, and that the period from 76 to 1985 was the United Nations Decade for Women. Wow! Yeah, Decade for Women, and what does that mean? Well, I don't really know. <laughs> That would be in minute three. <laughs> I'll probably need a couple more minutes to figure that out. Um, but from from the, the research that I did, I got the sense that there were um, much more uh, frequent, probably annual um, global summits on women's issues. So they was run by the United Nations and it was inviting um, 
nations to send delegates to discuss women's affairs on a global level. Mm-hmm. So again, coming in, coinciding with um, this period from about 1975. Really interesting. I think that also 70s for the for women was also when the pill became quite readily available. Mm. So it must have been quite a, an amazing, like transformative decade. Totally. Well, so I didn't know that. So that was only 1970s. I think the late 70s was when it became quite like p- quite available for women. So I don't know when, and that might be something as well that we could have a look at. Yeah, yeah. I don't know when it was first created but that's when it first started to be really widely used that's interesting so i mean that's clearly such a huge um opportunity for for women to um have their own uh autonomy and their own expression by taking control of of their reproductive rights totally um and it's probably no no coincidence that it's fallen within this un decade for women Mm, absolutely one of the um the the first really interesting things that I saw um, was uh, June 1975, the, the government introduced um, what's called no-fault divorce. So essentially it, it, major changes were made to the existing marriage law, which was the, the, um, the Family Law Act, and it created a situation whereby um, a, a, a couple, men and women in, in those days, could get divorced um, and could be dealt with more privately, cheaply, and without assigning blame to either party. So previously, in order to to um, declare a marriage annulled, you'd have to apportion blame to one side or the other, and that this would have a huge impact on, well, especially, especially on women, I, I would suspect, because they would be forced to remain in, a, in an unhappy marriage unless they could demonstrate something like infidelity on the part of their partner. Mm. Wow. So up until 1970-ish again. 1975. 75. This is like... Be specific. <laughs> it, it is crazy to think that that it's 1975 before we're, we're having um, this much more open and available um, mechanism for, for, for both parties. Mm. But in this instance, for women to be able to move out of a marriage that's clearly not working. And so... Um, I think that just sounds brilliant, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, around the same time, the November 75, there was the first uh, ever female cabinet minister. So, you know, clearly we've still got so many issues um, around gender representation or rather representation of women in, in uh, political leadership. But it's 1975 again. 1975. This year was huge. <laughs> it's just like the best year yeah. so far for women in terms of developments. Um, but yeah, so it, it also had me consider though. We still haven't come that far since so first female cabinet minister ever, November 1975. Mm. Now, if we think about the current the cabinet of modern governments, it's still not that much better. No, certainly representative democracy is not quite there with representation, really, of women um, in the proportion that they appear in the population. So, yeah, I'd be so interested to hear what your thoughts are reflecting from a modern sense of Mm. what does the Australian political landscape actually look like now for women? Yeah, well, it's... 
I don't know. One of the things that that I took from um, this this exercise is that when the the world decided to make it a priority, so much was achieved in a short period of time. Yeah. Um, now, you know, I know that there are so many important issues that that demand global attention, um, but it just goes to show that if we're all united in addressing a societal issue, we can achieve a lot. Absolutely. Now, Within the space of one year in 1975, <laughs> we can get through <laughs> several thousand different exactly. hurdles and, and things. And so I, did, <laughs> I didn't really get much past 1975, <laughs> so I feel like if I was going on Wheel of Fortune or something, I'd have to make <laughs> yeah. my special subject, <laughs> 1975 for women. Well, yeah. um, but to go back to your original question... Um, yeah, it seems like it has, to some extent, stopped being a priority, um, particularly in, in politics. I think the way that parties are set up, um, or rather the pathways to, to membership of a, of a parliamentary party, um, we just don't... We aren't creating pathways that enable women to thrive and to, to succeed in parliament. Absolutely. Well, I think what sort of stands out to me as well as a prime example of the way we look at women in politics now in Australia um, was the first woman to breastfeed in Parliament was only last year and that was just an amazingly controversial thing that you could be someone who is caring for a child and also in Parliament Um, and it was quite a stand and quite a an important milestone for women to be able to show the, show the world that they can actually take on two different roles, one of them being a parliamentarian. Um, so I think that sort of pushing the boundaries is still happening and it's still happening in the last six to 12 months. We're still seeing that sort of play out. Mm. So what does it mean for, for you then as a woman, um, you know, who's clearly quite engaged on these kinds of issues um, and I don't know, you may or may not have considered a pathway in politics, but what's it like looking at what the current landscape looks like? Yeah, I think it comes back to one of those things where you can't be what you can't see. And when I look to something like politics, I really love following politics and I'm fascinated by it, but I've never considered a career in politics for the reason that I don't think it's an environment that supports women in having that balance of lifestyle. I think that the advantage of being in the private sector or the or even public service far outweighs being an MP and a lot of that is around the policies that um, MPs have to abide by and the conditions in which they have to work there's a lot of travel there's so many things that discourage women to just even enter into that Mm. so it's interesting that the um to some extent, or some pockets of the private sector are now um, adopting much more progressive, inclusive um, policies on ways of working that are enabling um, women to, you know, work flexibly to take um, uh, really good parental leave and things like that. Um, But it's interesting that that hasn't then flowed through to our political system where we would probably much more than even in the private sector, we would benefit from having a much greater diversity of representation in politics. Why do you think that is? 
Yeah, I, I don't know if I have a clear response or answer to that. I think that the diversity and representation is definitely something that we need to address, but it also looks different in the current system. It's not systematically a, appropriate at the moment to um, have a woman take their, their, what is their normal life and apply that into that context. So I think that the systematic change that needs to occur from the parliament level right down through the system to show the, the way that representative democracy can actually look, it not only has to occur from a gender perspective, mm. but also across so many different other groups or subgroups of the Australian population. Mm. What do you think? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I think... I think it's kind of on us, the the voting public. We expect so much um, from our elected representatives. Now, um, irrespective of what one's personal views are on him, Scott Morrison was crucified for taking a holiday, right? Like, yeah. Now, I'm not, I'm, <laughs> you know I'm not his biggest fan, but... Um, do we, I, do we want to operate in a system where our head of state has to be so stoic that they can't take time out to be with their family? And I think it applies likewise in, in the context of this discussion for women. Do we want to set up a system that only enables childless women or um, men with stay-at-home partners? Mm. I don't think so. But it's just kind of like the expectation that we've created. Absolutely. I think that's just so spot on with who we're inviting into that room. You must be pretty much able to just drop everything and fly to Canberra every single week to be able to participate in that environment and to be able to contribute to it meaningfully. And what I think also adds to it is that the policies and the types of things that are coming out of, of Parliament are being created by a 70% population who are largely male, um, maybe 30% are, f are female or other. Mm. And that is inherently just going to impact whoever is and whatever is going into that parliamentary bill. So, yeah, in, unless we actually change that type of representation or how people can actually contribute... Maybe it's you can video link in and you can have a more flexible work work style, um, or you're allowed to take your own time out of the work that surely, you're doing and take a holiday. They, <laughs> surely they can get Google Meet or something yeah. in Parliament. I think we've probably got we're probably living in an age where that's available to us. Yeah, anyway. for sure. What else did you find that well, was interesting? Well, it actually ties really nicely into um, the one of the last things that I wanted to bring up, which was December 1975. Uh, the yeah, first got to the end of 1975. The, <laughs> so I'm a total two-minute expert on 1975. The first sex discrimination legislation comes into effect. Mm. Now, this was in South Australia. Um, the federal legislation came into effect in 84, but December 1975, SA enacts this legislation that uh, essentially protects people against um, discrimination based on their sex or marital status. So um, women could no longer be discriminated against on the basis that they were not married. If they were in a de facto relationship, um, it also meant that they couldn't be, well, that they couldn't be discriminated against in employment and education, and it protects them from um, being victimised for complaining about that discrimination. Mm. So, again, it creates 
well, it takes a step towards creating a level playing field. But as we've spoken about, um, there's probably still some way to go. Really interesting. And what would that discrimination actually look like in terms of it was employment outcomes or being denied opportunities to participate like in a higher education sense? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, you know, well, the, the one example that I use is that um, if a woman... Um, now, I could be totally getting this wrong, but I think from memory from what I saw, um, once a woman was married, she had to retire from the public service. Of course. <laughs> of course. Because why not, right? Because yeah. <laughs> it's 1975 and that's just how the world looks. Well, so, you've got your job and career path laid out for you by that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. wife and mum. Yeah. And that's your CV from then on, update your LinkedIn, retired. <laughs> um, so... This landmark piece of legislation um, essentially outlaws that kind of policy. Wow. What a year. I cannot actually believe it. Huge. <laughs> may even have to <laughs> What will 2020 bring? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, um, I think I need to send an email to the UN and get them to declare 2020 to 2030 the decade of women again because we've I still got some so. way to go. No, I totally agree. <laughs> cool. Well, that is... As much as I had the opportunity <laughs> to research, um, there's some, some other really interesting stuff out there. Um, what I've learned is I need to go and do some more research myself. Oh, me too. I think that was such a great discussion and I loved how much we got out of that one small snapshot of the history in Australia. I think that's just awesome. Great, Al. Thanks so much for the Love chat. It. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Binary Podcast. If you like what you heard, please rate, subscribe and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. See you next week.